Hi, and welcome to the Identity North podcast. Identity North is Canada's premier identity community. At our conferences, we bring together Canadian and global leaders to share the big ideas and innovations that are shaping the global digital economy. I'm Aaron Hamilton, your host and the chair of Identity North. We have three goals at IDN. We want to educate, connect key players, and to promote Canadian innovations and organizations. We want Identity North to be the platform to discover and explore the big questions, innovations, and ideas shaping the digital economy here in Canada and around the world. Digital ID and authentication are ultimately the foundation for a digital economy. All of our interactions, our transactions, and our online lives depend on the creation of robust, secure, and scalable systems that allow us to prove who we are online. Guests will include leaders from both the public and the private sector, with a focus on Canadian leaders working at home and abroad. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Connect with us online on Twitter at Identity North or via email at info at identitynorth.ca. Today's guest on Identity North is the person who first encouraged me to dive into the world of identity. Dr. Pat Meredith is an expert in governance and financial institutions and the winner of the 2017 Donner Prize. Hi, I'm Dr. Pat Meredith, fellow at the Clarkson Institute for Effective Governance at the Rotman School of Management at University of Toronto. Dr. Pat Meredith is an accomplished former bank executive turned strategy consultant, scholar, author, and director of many public, private, and not-for-profit organizations. Indeed, her most recent book, titled Stumbling Giants, won the 2017 Donner Prize Award for the Best Public Policy Book by a Canadian and has been shortlisted for uh, the National Business Book Award as one of the business books of the year. I wanted to ask Pat how she came to care about digital ID and why. Pat, welcome to the Identity North podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So take me back to the beginning. What were you doing when you first came across the idea of digital ID? In 2010, uh, the late Jim Flaherty, the Canadian finance minister, asked me to chair a task force on the future of the Canadian payment system. Uh, Payments are the arrangements that people, businesses use to transfer value from one uh, person to another. There was a feeling in Canada that uh, we were falling behind that digital payments were taking off and that Canadians were still largely paying um, in traditional ways. Checks, cash, credit cards, debit cards. The technology was changing and our payment system needed to change in order to keep up. In fact, the story that was told, I'm not sure whether it's true or not, is that one of the reasons why the task force was struck was because when Jim Flaherty shared a taxi ride with a, a finance minister in the, uh, I think it was Malaysia, he, the finance minister in Malaysia was able to pay for the taxi ride um, without opening his wallet. And uh, it, that was clearly something we could not do in Canada. Hmm. Really interesting. So how do you think that, how did that bring you to digital ID? Well, one of the things that is important in payments is knowing who you're transferring the money to. And so, you know, somewhere along the way, I had seen a cartoon by Peter Steiner of The New Yorker 
Uh, it was published back in 1993 when the internet was just new. This cartoon featured two dogs, uh, one sitting on a chair in front of a computer speaking to a second dog who was sitting on the floor looking up at the, uh, the other dog. The caption reads, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. This cartoon has gone on to be one of the most famous ever published by the New Yorker. But what it captured was one of the largest challenges from a payments perspective. The internet is an anonymous place. Um, users can send and receive messages in relative anonymity. And that's great if you're looking to transfer, you know, ideas, information, etc. But that isn't so great if you're looking to move money from one party to another. And so it became very clear to me that we needed a way to ensure the identity of both the receiver and the sender of, my, of value. And so uh, that really led us to exploring the idea of, di of digital ID and authentication in more detail. So your sense was that as the world was going online, that payments had to go online as well onto the internet uh, and that they had to be able to be authenticated. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about that old-fashioned physical ID wallet because you're saying it, it wouldn't work online. Um, let's talk about some of the examples. So one of the things that we used uh, a lot in the payments discussion were use cases. And when in the physical world, when a person uh, wants to open a bank account, they go into a bank, they you know, fill in an application form, they present usually two pieces of ID. Uh, the bank photocopies them, checks them, and, uh, and opens the bank account. The challenge is that that process could not be replicated online. So for you know, people who didn't have a bank in uh, a bank branch nearby, or you know, as brand banks are closing their branches, you really don't have access to a bank branch anywhere. Uh, that clearly was a problem. But it was also a problem because many people didn't want to go into branches anymore. They wanted to be able to access or open a bank account on their phone. They can do you know, many things on, on, on their phone. Why couldn't they open a bank account? So it was, you know, it was a challenge not only for opening a bank account, but if you didn't have a bank account, you couldn't get a credit card. You couldn't get access to, you know, obviously a debit card, but you really couldn't access many financial products and services. That's challenging for individuals, but for businesses, it's the kiss of death. They're, you know, without the ability to transact, uh, businesses have no way of selling their, pro their goods and services and receiving payment. So we used to, you know, one of the things we used to joke about was that Canadians could pay for, you know, kids' hockey lessons online using e-transfer, um, but they couldn't sign a liability waiver. They couldn't do things that clearly required them to identify themselves and have their identity authenticated. 
So we're not just talking about payments, we're talking about any kind of transaction that people need to be able to be authenticated for. I get it. So, so the task force decided that Canadians needed digital ID and authentication. But tell me about some of the recommendations that you made uh, as a task force around digital ID. Well, the recommendation task force made a number of recommendations for in fact, but the one that was relevant to digital ID and authentication was really for both the public sector and the private sector to work together to create a regime to underpin a modern payment system and to protect Canadians' privacy and security in the online world. We believe that this sort of regime was essential to not only processing payment transactions that supported uh, uh, economic activity, but over the long run also important in supporting things like digital health records, uh, digital uh, voting, other activities that clearly could be uh, automated and made accessible to virtually every Canadian if there was a regime to authenticate and identify, you know, for an individual to be identified and authenticated electronically. Okay, so we need digital ID, but there are a lot of private sector organizations that really want to help us do that, no? Yes, uh, clearly the, you know, industries like banking, education, healthcare, in order to deliver their services online, really need to ensure that the party at the other end of the transaction is who they say they are. And so a digital ID and, and authentication regime is critical to support both private sector and public sector activities. Is the government have to be the one to solve this or the public-private partnership have to be the one to solve it? Aren't there larger organizations that are kind of looking to try to own identity or manage our identities for us? Google, Apple, Facebook clearly have moved very much into the identity space. The question I think for Canadians is really whether or not they want to have those large technology companies being the ones who, who play a significant role in their digital footprint, their digital identity. It is in the best interest of those companies to know exactly you know, who they're dealing with and, and uh, collect as much data on the person that they can and to harvest that data to generate revenues for themselves. From an individual perspective, that may they may not be the you know most desirable holders of their identity. Well, we've heard it Which said that if you're if you're not paying for the service, that you're not the customer; you're actually the product. Uh, we don't necessarily want Facebook or Amazon or Google to be solely in charge of all of our data. So, what are we to do? Um, well, traditionally, our data has been managed by the government. In Canada, the provinces have been responsible for issuing birth certificates. The birth certificate is really the, you know, the recognition of our existence in, in, the, in today's world. Going forward, it would uh, seem to make sense to have you know, the government continue to play a role in the 
you know, recognition of a person or an organization's existence in the digital world. The regime, however, really has to work collaboratively in order for businesses to, to collect and use the data that, they, that they've collected to provide services, goods, you know, make them available to individuals that in a, in a uh, you know, in an efficient and uh, effective way. What we're saying is that the government still has a role to play in those root certificates. We, as you mentioned, the birth certificate, which, you know, confirms our existence. And then, of course, we get our passports and driver's licenses, and those all build upon that original root piece of identity, the birth certificate. And that there's a role for the government to continue to play that uh, and, and potentially to evolve the way it thinks about providing services to, to, um, to consumers. And also you pointed out that, that these internet giants are in some ways kind of working against that original cartoon because they're, they want to know all there is to know about you and to tell with a fairly high degree of accuracy who you are and if you're a dog. Right. Uh, they want to know that. Yeah, so we're we're getting we're very much moving away from that that Steiner cartoon situation. So, what would you envision um, could come out of the recommendations from the task force? I well, I wasn't really sure. In fact, uh, the feeling was that there was clearly an opportunity for us to create a made in Canada solution, one that worked for both the private and the public sector in Canada. Uh, we already had a number of individuals who were leading in, in, who had very strong backgrounds in digital identification and authentication. Um, they were leaders in the field, not necessarily working in Canada, but you know clearly involved. As well, the government of British Columbia was fairly far along in their thinking about digital ID. Uh, they had started you know, thinking about this several years prior to the task force and had started moving forward on their own and as well um, talking to many of the other provinces about the concept of digital identification. As well, we had a number of small technology companies that were investing in ideas um, uh, related to digital ID and authentication. So the task force brought a working group together. Uh, this group to talk about um, a you know possible ways forward. This group evolved into a nonprofit organization with a mandate to facilitate the dialogue and the ongoing collaboration. It sounds pretty simple, but you know, to our best of our knowledge, no other country had taken this collaborative approach between the private and the public sector. Um, we started building an ecosystem from the ground up and you know, really looking at different ways of accomplishing the task. Let me, let me stop you there for a second. So you, this public-private uh, par partnership right from the beginning was really different here in Canada versus the way they've been doing it in, in other countries. In countries like China, India, Estonia, um, they, the state had essentially directed the, uh, the implementation of a digital ID and mandated it. In countries like that, they can get away with it. 
when European countries like Germany and the UK tried to mandate it, was tremendous resistance, and you know they were unable to move the project forward. So our conclusion was, in Canada, we probably were more like the European countries, would be unlikely to be successful if the government tried to impose it, and far more likely to be successful if government and business work together to find a way um, to solve this problem um, without encroaching on the you know, security, privacy of individuals. Okay, so tell me about the process that you went through um, with this new working group of the public sector and the private sector at the table together. Um, well, basically what we did is we started with a general discussion of you know, why this was important and what we needed to do. Then we started to look at specific use cases. And one of the use cases that I remember very well, because for me it illustrated many of the points that uh, had to be taken into consideration, was the, you know, the challenge of a young person going into the beer store to buy beer for the weekend. In order to prove that they are old enough to drink, the cashier asks them to present you know, identification. Most people pull out their driver's license. Well, all the cashier really needs to know is that you're of legal drinking age. They don't need to know how old you are. They just need to know that you're above the minimum age. Yet, when you hand over your driver's license, or when my son hands over his driver's license, not only does it tell them the actual date of his birth, it tells them his full name, his address, his, you know, he, it has his, his signature on the back, um, his height, his weight, his eye color, you know, all kinds of information that is not essential for him to buy a case of beer. Uh, and so, Clearly, there was an invasion of privacy, and we could see that, you know, an alternative whereby if I presented a credential online um, and that, uh, you know, the system uh, issued an authorization that said, yes, I'm old enough to drink, I'm old enough to buy beer, then that really was all the cashier needed in order to check me out. So really interesting. In this case, we can actually use digital ID and authentication to actually increase the security and increase the privacy over the current um, analog way of, of, of making transactions. I, I like that idea. Yep. So, we did too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so ultimately, uh, how did you use this use case to, um, to progress the thinking? So. We worked very closely with um, Dave Nicolasian, who is the chair of the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada, that not-for-profit organization that I referred to earlier, and who was the CIO of the province of BC when the payments task force was in place. And to really understand the regime that they were beginning to think about, in British Columbia and to talk about ways of using a, uh, a network of um, identities and authentication protocols to ensure that people could operate in the online world 
without, uh, in ways that protected their privacy, yet gave them the convenience of being able to do things online in a secure and private way. Well, that's a great place to leave this episode of the Identity North podcast. Next, we're going to be sitting down with Dave Nicolasian, who is still the chair of the DIAC, the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada, even though he's moved on from his role as BC, British Columbia's CIO. We're going to ask him about how he saw this major problem on the horizon over 20 years ago and how he got working on it and convinced others to start paying attention too. I also want to ask him about balancing his rather demanding full-time job with his role of the chair of the DIAC and why it makes sense and what the DIAC is trying to accomplish and why. I'm Aaron Hamilton. Thanks for tuning in and remember to check out the upcoming Identity North workshops and the annual summit. Tickets are now on sale at identitynorth.ca. You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. And you can connect with us online at Twitter at Identity North or by email at info at identitynorth.ca.